Greetings, and welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. I'm Phyllis Hollis, your host. As an extension of my Instagram page, Cerebral Women, this podcast offers insights into the visual art world. I interview artists, mainly artists of color and female artists, who will freely articulate what inspires their creativity. In addition, you'll hear interesting perspectives from dedicated art professionals who work with artists and the art institutions that feature them. I'm confident that collectively, these individuals will indeed stimulate your mind as they do our eyes. Please know these interviews are conducted in my Manhattan apartment, so please forgive the background sounds of city life. Welcome to the Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. This episode, I feature Paula Crown, a Chicago-based multimedia artist. She incorporates cutting-edge technology, social activism, collaboration, and a commitment to sustainability in her studio practice. I was drawn to Paula's work after viewing her clever and thought-provoking sculptures, each uniquely named, of painted plastic replicas of a squashed solo cup. These sculptures, presented by Dallas Contemporary, were exhibited in 2018 during the 16th Venice Architecture Biennale. I'm also impressed with her participation in multiple group exhibitions with Four Freedoms, a 50-state initiative co-founded in 2016 by artists Hank Willis Thomas and Eric Gottesman. Paula created art installations, specifically billboards and public benches. In addition to many other impressive accomplishments, in 2009, President Barack Obama appointed Paula to his President's Committee on the Arts and the Humanities. Paula is an artist, an advocate, and entrepreneur. I am delighted to feature her and have included on the Cerebral Women website links to her bio and additional press. I'm confident you'll enjoy this episode. Enjoy. Welcome, Paula. I'm delighted to feature you on my podcast. I am very impressed with your your past, your journey. Please share with listeners how exactly you became an artist. How lovely of you to say that. And I love the fact that we'll talk about later how our paths have intertwined. Um, so h- how did I get started in art to me is, is the question. It's such an essential question. Now, I believe we're all intuitive mark makers from the time we're born. We come to understand the world through our senses as we grasp, crawl, coo, cry. We mirror the behavior of those around us. And from the very first moments, we send out unique signals of how we are in the world that relate to our unique identities. And some of those signals are reinforced and others are quelled. Um, for me, um, just by the, the fortune of, of randomness uh, in, in this world, um, I found that listening, observing, and paying really close attention can provide some context for self-knowledge uh, and somehow furthers human connectedness and, more importantly, can help us understand how to be useful in this world, which is really a compelling um, uh, need right now. 
so going back to the the question, I expect that I found reinforcement and pure curiosity and possibilities. Um, when people ask me, how did you find your artistic passion? Well, the answer is understanding what I naturally gravitated before I was aware that anyone was looking. And making marks or objects have always been my way of expressing and manifesting ideas. I asked my parents about what I did as a child and uh, melded some of my own memories and let's just say that my behavior was not totally embraced nor reinforced. Um, I, pulled, I pulled away wallpaper to see what was underneath and Whoa. made new patterns with my tearings. And I connected the perforated dots on the car seats in my father's car with a pen. Um, and then um, I excitedly um, made gestures on my... Um, uh, my family's classical records with the needle on a record player turntable. I'm sure they love I that. I would say um, I proudly displayed uh, my work um, to clear disapproval, which was a, a euphemism for being in, in major trouble. Um, my parents didn't know much of our about art, um, but they did know how to minimize the damage to their property. And they brought me to an adult painting studio run by a salty instructor named Ed Fish when I was eight years old. I, I, looking back on it, I really appreciate that they acknowledged my instinct uh, to make, to gesture. Although they simultaneously reminded me that it was uh, hardly a potential career. So I learned to paint properly on canvas, although my abstracted approaches were not reinforced, um, but yet the colors, the paints, the textures and tools called out to me as, as they do at this very moment. You know, what if um, my mind goes to myriad possibilities, materials and forms, they, they beckon me, they ask me, what if we mixed together? What if we recontextualized this pile of trash and what if we altered the scale of an object, and you could see that in my work with solo together, together with um, the translation of a small plaster solo cup to a ten-foot object, and um, the perforations work, which really uh, derive from observing and tearing the edges of paper from my sketchbook. <laughs> so, so making art was a lonely avocation for a young child. So I shifted to academic sports and social life, but looking back, I was always drawn to designing things, making signs, stage sets, illustrations. And although not a primary purpose, I continued to take courses ranging from Grey's Anatomy, uh, reading Grey's Anatomy, <laughs> not the TV show, um, to printmaking. And, and all of these added to my quiver um, of artistic language. And um, I, I did note that it was important to take action on those feelings of, of wonder. So you consider yourself a multimedia artist. Which aspects of the, your creativity do you enjoy the most? Drawing, painting, video, sculpture? I don't really think there's an established hierarchy. I guess the most direct and available um, starts with drawing 
And that really unlocked the world for me. It was a, a way of thinking and processing information um, that activated my, my optical senses and connected my brain and my hand. Um, it's interesting. It took so long to get back to drawing as a way of being attentive. Uh, you know, I remember people um, dismissing the idea of drawing when you're in class or doodling. Um, but as I've come to know later in life, uh, for me, by drawing and observing, I see and notice things that I would normally, and I'm so completely and totally present. Um, so I encourage people to, uh, whatever your way is, to take an information to do that. So, so it goes back to the drawing, but then that drawing um, becomes something else. And um, it, it can be painted upon, it can be photoshopped, it could be repainted upon, it could be rephotographed. It, it's almost like a palimpsest um, where whatever I'm doing, um, information gets accreted and sometimes excavated and deleted. Um, all of this informs the, the final work for me. And, and this process leaves room for serendipity and, of course, failure. And my studio is about R&D, and there's room for failure, which is clear data. And we always have to have the, um, the strength to, to begin again. Um, so back, back to my tools, um, I, I think one of my, the way just my brain works is seeing dimensionally and um, the, the new tools of scanning and um, computer graphics have added a whole nother layer to my work and um, has provided a new point of view in the round or from the bottom or from the top. Um, how marks, even drawing marks look based on the pressure on the page and how that can become a, a, a depth map of, of how I'm holding the pencil or the pen and how, um, how it's moving. So I, um, you know, my, my process really is scientific. It's driven by curiosity and um, you know, going back to what's possible. Um, I always ask, how could it look in all these different dimensions or materials or colors? And um, as I reiterated in an early story, um, uh, this impulsiveness um, to try to touch, to see, to feel how something resonates um, is something that I feel comfortable pursuing. So... Recently, you have an exhibition, an installation right now in Los Angeles. It's a public art installation for Freedom's Congress. Uh, it opened February to March 1st. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that you're doing work with Hank Willis Thomas. And with that, you appear to be both an artist and an activist. Um, but what do you feel your role is as an artist? Um to use my language, my particular language, my way of expressing myself to enlarge a conversation. 
And um, I, I'm definitely an artist and, and activate, activist. They're, they're one and the same. And because art can transcend language and politics and culture and race, it can provide a moment to, to pause. And when we pause and we get out of our reptilian brain and into our prefrontal cortex, we, we can think differently. We can listen. Um, we cannot just be um, rigidly responding. My, my work, um, inwardly and outwardly, um, reflects my deep concerns about the environment, social justice, income equality, climate change. And I try to do that in um, a way that's not didactic, not that, uh, in a way that I'm telling people what's right or wrong. So if you think about um, the, the solo cup, um, that, that started as a work because I noticed how people held on to cups and they crushed them. And in some ways, that was a, a transference of energy. Uh, then I took 350 cups and we painstakingly made plaster molds and, and painted each one. So when you see them at, at first look, they do like the cups, but there is some things that there's a, a different aura uh, about them. And um, they've been uh, in exhibits in, in Venice and in um, the Elmhurst Museum in Illinois and in London. And when I put them all out in place, it just created this sense of the things that we leave behind. In one hand, honoring the gestures, that independent individual gesture that we all can make, but then being present and aware of how much it can affect our environment and who is going to pick all of this up. And I hope that people will ask that. And with the large cup, it's bright and big and you can crawl in it and crawl on it and you can experience it. But it's red. It's an alarm. Yeah, I loved seeing those. But I have a question for you. Mm -hmm. Do you see a relationship between discarded materials and discarded values? Oh, that's such a, an amazing question. Um. I wouldn't say discarded values. I would just say uh, a lack of deep thinking about how things are made, how they come about, and where do they go. And um, you know, seeing anything is gives potential. So I can see a, a pile of wood or, um, uh, you know, a, a group of uh, discarded nails as something is, is telling a story. And the story of, you know, why we just throw away wood um, that, you know, we, we've abandoned housing. Why can't we reuse that. We see so much um, beautiful waste where people are just destroying and excavating their homes when there's so much that can be reused and repurposed. And you see it, you know, I love um, some of the activations where people are taking uh, plastic 
bottles and making shifts and uh, upcycling materials. And we've done that in some of our properties where um, uh, we use upcycled plastics for uniforms and um, uh, reuse it in various ways. So um, I, I, I don't want to correlate it directly that we're discarding values, but we've lost our understanding of the making. You know, we've, we've lost our understanding of the growth cycle of food and um, what it takes to grow and tend it and take care of the, the earth that provides those nutrients. So um, I'll continue to think about that, but um, I'm not giving up uh, We've totally discarded our values. <laughs> so in the cups, in the small cups, you write a little note, right? Or a little comment. Can you elaborate on that? So I actually um, uh, named each one. Named each uh, one, right. Yes. And, and so um, I, uh, I was showing one of my daughters, uh, Haley in the studio, and um, I said, oh, I think I should name them. And um, I showed her one cup that was leaning to the side. And I said, well, I'm going to call this Eileen. And um, she said, no, all of these should be cup names. <laughs> and so she saw one that was stacked on another. And she said, mom, they're secretly pregnant. <laughs> and um, this one is Insta-worthy. And this one's never good as dad <laughs> and um it, you know everyone added to to their um perspective and so we created this whole community of people who are inside and out and uh, again as a, as a note that we were transferring the energy of um of that person that emotion that was then in this heavier plastic uh, object. Um, and it, it, it really was um, interesting. You know, I had my 18-year-old come in and say, oh gosh, they're doing this sorority squat. Um, <laughs> it was so um, it, it was so pertinent and um, brought back to life that these, these aren't just, this isn't just a space full of zombies, but these are, are people and marks um, that uh, are to be honored. Yeah, I loved that. So um, are there themes that connect your work? So it, it's interesting. Um, I uh, oftentimes, when people come to the studio, they'll say, oh, I, I get how it connects. Um, but I have to say, you know, I'm just, pursuing the ideas and that things uh, are resonating with me. Um, I've worked on this Alpha Bravo Charlie, uh, uh, the phonetic alphabet series for a while. And um, when, when I treated it differently, when I uh, reversed the words, when I painted it dark or light, they became... Um, images uh, or thoughts of a sky, right? It, it became uh, a night sky or a day sky. And, um, and then I just saw very recently a, an article that said 
the phonetic language is coming back because of cell phone connections and that people have trouble hearing uh, and, and deciphering one another. So if I were, uh, you know, say your name, um, you know, I would say, um, you know, Papa, um, as in, Phyllis, as in Papa, and 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 that sort of clear translation um, uh, helps us communicate. So that's become relevant. It became relevant. Um, uh, my, my dad flew missions over the pole in the early years of the the Cold War. He, he was a navigator, and um, this language kept coming up and he um he navigated on a, a b29 which as you know uh, b29s were the planes that dropped the atomic bombs the mm. you know nola gay and uh, uh, a boxcar and um so that led me to expanding some of his photographs of the nola gay of the inside of a um of that cockpit pit and what it would take to be in that cockpit. So I've actually put the viewer in that space. And then um, just recently when I was the Four Freedoms exhibit, I walked over to the Japanese um, Museum of American Art and there was an exhibit on um, uh, survivors from mm -hmm. Nagasaki and Hiroshima. And um, the Alpha Bravo language came came back to me um, as a, you know a language of, of flight of these planes of the decision to drop uh, these destructive bombs and I came across a Buddha that had been melted in the face of one of the explosions and for the last five weeks I've just been obsessed with this idea. Of something that was peaceful that was blown away so unnecessarily and then yet the um the potential and the phoenix-like um, capacity for us to begin again and grow so um uh, that, that that's one example where one thing leads into another and finds very different expressions interesting you know, I envy you artists because you can take an idea, you can see something, get passionate about it and express it in a way that helps those of us who are trying to figure it all out. So I do want to ask you about the time you spent back in 09, I guess it wasn't that long ago, working um, with the team, uh, Obama's uh, Committee on the Arts and the Humanities. Share with us anything that you can about the aspects of that role and, and what your goals were. Being in that position, what, what passions woke up? Well, first, I was just in awe. Uh, there were so many exceptionally talented people, um, you know, sitting next to Yo-Yo Ma or Kerry Washington or, you know, what would ever join John Lloyd Young. I mean, all these people just had such extraordinary talents um, and just having such respect and appreciation for how they brought their beings um, to the world to, to make our world bigger and, and, and more expansive. Um, 
you know, the, the Obamas are continue to be such extraordinary leading lights with their brilliance and, and their compassion. And, um, I just spoke with Michelle yesterday, um, uh, former, um, first lady and, um, she remarked that infusing the White House with culture of, of, of our country was probably one of their most fulfilling initiatives. And um, that's how they acted. You know, they invited the, the culture and the poets and the dancers of all ages into the White House, in, into the People's House to share our, our common legacy. And um, that idea of inviting so many people um, who wouldn't normally be exposed to the arts uh, was so resonant. You know, we, we all get so involved in our, our, our silos. And she said, you know, growing up in the, in the West Side, in Chicago, um, that she saw, uh, she, she knew of kids who never saw the lake. Um, they never went to a museum. And so it's really, they're really intentional um, to invite people into the space and to hopefully find their own voices. Um, and so all of those workshops she did with kids, you know, she often had these great performers that had work, workshops earlier that day with, you know, um, Lynn uh, Manuel Miranda um, rapping with the kids or um, uh, having um, Ellis Marsalis uh, um, do a, a, a music class, um, all to spread their talents uh, to, to a larger group. Uh, so, so that was, um, that th those reflections just make me feel really grateful to have been involved. I would say when I was on the committee, I um, focused on understanding how to advocate for the creative community. Um, I spent a lot of time talking to Margot Lyon and, and, and Rocco Landisman, who's head um, of the National Endowment for the Arts at that time. And, and how do we make people understand how important the arts are and how important the creative community is with more tangible metrics. As we know, um, you know, that's the, the coin of a political realm is that, you know, arts get caught out because they don't, they're not real, realized or acknowledged um, as an important language and, and a means of expression. And, you know, I think back, I've been doing this whole series of work on cave signs that have been, um, discovered similar cave signs from Spain to Sicily. And um, these, these marks show that, that our need to express ourselves, to be creative, these gestures go back to the very start of human civilization. So even though it's not on Maslow's uh, hierarchy of, of basic needs, um, there's something in, in the human in humanity that needs to to make these these gestures and how art has been sidelined as something as an ornament or unimportant. So I felt that I could help with that. Um, and uh, you know my, my brain can be uh, 
linear and um, uh, as well as painterly. And in this case, I felt I could be most helpful by thinking about metrics, which went over like a lead balloon, as you can imagine. But that's <laughs> the, 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 the advantage was saying, listen, I'm an artist and I know that things can be measured. You know, I can measure how much pain I go through. I can measure how much I'm sitting at uh, my table or I can measure how much I'm, um, you know, working on my iPad, whatever it is. So there's something there if we could capture that, that would be valuable. (laughs) And um, so uh, I worked with this... uh, Credible woman Sarah Stalinga from um, Urban Education Initiative at uh, University of Chicago, and she came in and reviewed the analysis of uh, what art can do, and we thought about how we could bring arts into the media schools a- across the country, and we had an amazing lineup of artists who um, uh, adopted schools, Carrie James Marshall and Yo-Yo and Damien Wetzel and Sarah Jessica Parker is really just such a, such a beautiful thing. And we uh, installed these art programs and then we took some measurements and we found that the attendance was higher mm-hmm. and that disciplinary actions went down. And so, so that tells us something. Um, you know, Chuck Close uh, said that um, uh, if he didn't have art, he would have gone to jail instead of going to Yale. <laughs> and um, it, it's, it, it's just sad when you think about how people have these voices, they, their ability to dance or sing, and we just... Um, we diminish that. We don't reinforce that. Uh, and I, I just want to continually examine and, 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 and work on that. Also, too, um, the creative community is, is huge. Uh, uh, Someone was telling me the other day that, um, you know, who wants to support a ballerina or an opera singer at this time? Did you slap them? <laughs> I um it, it was a phone call, but I did oh, I virtu- yeah. <laughs> virtually slap them. Um, it was um it, that's the lack of understanding. It goes right. back to your point about discarding values, right? It's it's more than this ballerina. It's a troupe, and it's a school, and it's a um, company that makes the sets and installs the sets and lights and creates the. Um, uh, the catalogs and creates the classes and um, understanding, uh, not understanding the whole ecosystem, not understanding the, the whole um, process, right. um, you get to wrongheaded conclusions. Um, so to watch is so beautiful to watch the performances then in itself. It's, it's, it is, it, it is, it is truly magical. Um, I, speaking to Kate Levin from Bloomberg, uh, she receives the, their philanthropy in the arts. Um, and she said, um, you know, let, let's look up some data um, about what percentage of the economy does relate to the creative sector. And I think we have to do a better job of 
um, taking those metrics and, and understanding um, and not hiding behind, oh, you know, you can't measure that, you can't measure the arts. There are some things that can reinforce our story and tell a, a compelling tale. Right. Yeah. So how do you want your work to impact or how would you like it to, to change our view on art? Um, there are so, so many aspects to that. And on a very um, basic as, aspect, I, I want people to understand how their individual unique gestures mean something and, and to um, connect with that force of nature that we have within ourselves. And that goes back to our senses. Uh, it goes back to the touch. And, and so, for example, with the, the internet, we can look up and we can find quotes and we can find altered documents but we don't know what is real. And we, to fully understand ourselves, we have to realize that the essence is in us, the senses that inform how we are in nature, that inform how we move spatially, that inform um, uh, how one thing might affect another. It is, is so important. We, we, we can't get away from that or we're going to get away from our connectedness. And with Solo Together, the idea was, listen, we're in this incredibly difficult and short uh, life on this planet. But together, we can find solutions. Together, we can um, reduce suffering. Together, we can add new knowledge. So, so at core, it goes back to, to, to getting back to our, our senses. Um, just, is, is that uh, resonant with your question? Yes, it is. It is. And um, I'm definitely going to be adding all of the links to your videos, because I think your videos really do a fine job of demonstrating how you do want to impact us. Um, so I think that's an important thing to, to also mention. If I could add one thing, the um, surprise, the beautiful moment of grace that I've had through making my art is my ability to um, create platforms for other people's creative endeavors. And the 3,500 square foot uh, installation I did in Miami became a place where there was an original dance choreographed, where the New World Symphony performed uh, on a couple of occasions, where people did yoga, where people um, just interacted, and they completed the conversation for me and made it their own and made it a bigger conversation. And to the extent that somehow, some way. Um, I, I can do that with uh, my work with homeless signs or reclaimed materials or um, uh, just just my mark. Um, that that to me um, is is why my art is is so important and what I hope to accomplish more of. 
Yeah. Well, you've done a great job, and I love the fact that you worked with, um, like I mentioned before, Hank Willis Thomas, and that you had an opportunity to work with the Obamas. It's uh, it's fantastic. So I really appreciate your time. It's been a wonderful conversation. And um, on that note, thank you very much, Paula. Well, you are wonderful. Um, thank it you. is um, lovely to have an occasion to talk to another cerebral woman. Um, <laughs> thought, ideas, reflection, connection really matters. So thank yes. you so much, Phyllis. Thank you. Great. Take care. Bye. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Cerebral Women Art Talks podcast. For additional content, please visit CerebralWomen.com and be sure to follow Cerebral Women on Instagram.